certainly I think the shape of food is always going to change as culture changes and that's a real beautiful thing. Um, as long as the food connects us together, it doesn't really matter what the food is so much, you know, that's just almost a token. Um, it's a means. The end is hopefully, I think it would be real sad if people did lose the power of food to bring us together. Food for Thought, Episode 4. Lewis Hu, a scientist and science educator, was born in Liverpool and now lives in Edinburgh, Scotland. In this episode, he talks to us about the role of food in a British-Chinese household and shares his personal childhood memories with us. Uh, so my name is Lewis. I am 27 years old. Uh, I was born in Liverpool, down in England, north of England, and uh, now I live in Edinburgh, and I've been here full-time for about nine years. My mum is uh, originally from Hong Kong, and her whole family moved um, from, the, from Hong Kong to Liverpool, whereas my father's family are from the south of China, so quite close to Hong Kong as well. As we were growing up, I think we, originally food was, has always been important. It's still vital within our family, but it is much more westernised now than it ever was. I think it's quite interesting that my parents probably westernised with us as we, you know, when we were going to school and English being our primary language. Uh, and so we, you know, as time's gone by, my mum could rice less and less and actually we'd start having pasta more and more and it might end up actually being some sort of mix between Chinese dishes served with pasta rather than just traditional rice. Um, and even when I go and visit my parents in Liverpool now, it will really be a mix between Chinese food and then typical British food, perhaps. Um, but I guess regardless of what the, the dishes are, you know, the mealtime is a sacred thing. Um, it's always important. All celebrations are tied together by food. Um, and it doesn't really matter which one it is. Christmas is always a good example. Uh, we all share Christmases between two families. Um, and it's always, we have a duck or a turkey, though we had turkey once, we didn't really like it because it's really boring. So <laughs> we had the duck, um, you know, and we loved lamb, but then we'd also still have the traditional rice and we'd have, you know, the, the, what would be traditionally more Chinese Asian meals as well at this massive table. <laughs> and perhaps the funny thing is that we haven't really compromised on the amount either. So we, it's not as half and half, it's just a full Chinese meal, a full British meal, Yorkshire puddings, you know, gravy, but then spare ribs and, uh, you know, all sorts of soups and, and interesting kind of rich porridges and rice congee and all this type of stuff as well. Uh, so it's obviously just overflowing with food. Um, and, and that's what binds us is almost overeating, but in family. Sometimes on the Sunday morning, we'd wake up and mum would sleep in. So dad would cook and uh, he'd just get a rice cooker, put some rice in there, he'd throw in a couple of eggs um, and a couple of maybe Chinese sausages at most. Um, probably not even that. It was just eggs and rice and they'd just boil together and then you'd have it and you'd crack the eggs open and you'd put soy sauce on it 
you've never tried it, you should. Because that was like, it's so delicious. And my mum hated it. We would like, be, yeah, yeah, we totally want to have this. You know, we, we'd be fighting for it. It's like, we've got a dad to cook. And my mum would just be like, dad, you, you know, Jet, you're a chef. So why are you cooking this crap for your son? Do you know, like, it's just rice and eggs, God's sake, and soy sauce. Um, but there's something really comforting about that. Um, and really wholesome and obviously it's super easy. Um, and I, I, yeah, definitely one of my fondest, like even to, to this day, I think if I'm feeling a bit kind of, yeah, lazy, and that's what I'll just throw into the rice cooker and just throw it together. That's probably the most Asian cooking I do myself these days is just that type of thing. Really simple, nothing fancy. And so with the rice cooker, you put the eggs in their shells whole, mm -hmm. and it cooks them, and then you crack. You crack it's it's yeah. So the rice cookers, you know, I'm a scientist and a science educator by trade. I still have no idea how rice cookers work. They're, <laughs> they're like some crazy voodoo magic. Genuinely, like doesn't matter how right, how much rice, how, what type of rice, um, you just bung it all in, um, and then obviously put, stick a couple of eggs in, and it'll just boil perfectly. No sticking or anything. Um, oh god. So getting ill in a Chinese British household is a, is a funny business, especially since I've just recently been ill thinking about it. Um, I guess most of the foods, food wise, is always bland. That was the, you know, congee, so rice pudding type thing, um, would be usually what you'd eat. I didn't mind that actually, that was nice. But then we'd also have Chinese Coke. Um, and uh, Chinese Coke was not Coca-Cola, or not cocaine, I believe. Um, I don't know what it is. It is a Chinese herbal remedy that my mum always used. It's very bitter. I'm pretty sure, to this day I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with Coke, but she decided because it was black, she would call it Coke to basically make us drink it because we were like, it's Coke! Um, and um, to this day, I don't know if it's actually what it is, actually, but it was incredibly bitter. It was usually sweetened to try and make it go mild, but never sweetened enough because the whole point of it was that it was bitter. I think in traditional Chinese medicine, that's a really important property in terms of like balancing yin and yang, and I, I can't pretend to know the ins and outs of it, but I think the bitterness was the kind of point um, and obviously coming again from a science point of view now, it's quite interesting to see that link with, you know, there's, there's a lot of research in that and it fits with a lot of old, different world medicines as well. Um, but yeah, that was definitely the, that was the reason why you didn't want to get sick is because you didn't want to have Chinese Coke. Um, and I think it was that. And then prevention is, of course, better than the cure, as my mum would always say. But her prevention was uh, garlic. Garlic was the answer to everything. Uh, and again, interesting from a science point of view now, but she would make us eat raw garlic um, when she thought we might be getting ill. Um, which is, yeah, an acquired taste and not necessarily what you want before you go to school, but we ate it anyway. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm still alive today, so maybe it's because of garlic, but... Uh, I still managed to get some friends, so uh, yeah, no harm done, I guess.
we've been very lucky in our family. Um, and touch wood, we haven't had too very many deaths. Um, I guess our link with Scotland's Aunt Doris, who married into a Scottish family, um, she passed away just before I moved to Scotland full time, which is always a bit of a shame. Um, and she was a real, by all accounts, she was a real um, bedrock of the Scottish Chinese community. She used to welcome them, having several restaurants, she used to look after them. Um, and I can't really recall any specific foods, but we, again, food would be such a big part of the bereavement process. You know, you'd have, and again, this, this mix of, you'd have the traditional wake and you'd have that. I remember that just being like you see in the movies, just the Western funeral. And then we'd go to her favorite restaurant. And then a big part of it was eating um, the foods that she would eat. Think and I don't know if that was on purpose, but I I always remember that she loved scallops, loved scallops so much. Uh, she was obviously the right place for them. Um, I remember being very emotional um, when everyone had scallops at the funeral meal, um, just because it, it it was her and it was so not important, but because even though she loved them. I remember when we visited Edinburgh for the summers and she'd feed us, she'd always save the scallops for us as well. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know generally. Um, I don't recall any specific foods. Um, I know white is a particular ritualistic food. I remember once giving my dad a, a bowl of rice with chopsticks kind of stuck right in the middle of it, so kind of facing up. He was actually quite offended by it, and I obviously didn't understand the significance, but I think in China that's seen very much as a, a funeral. You know, you wear white to a funeral, and that's seen as a funeral offering. I think um, food traditions will definitely change, and they'll remain unique to every single family. You know, every single family has its own... Um, set of stories and significances and their own comfort foods that the dad would have made when they were a kid on Sunday mornings. Um, and I think that's really hard to quantify um, or kind of speak on behalf of, but I think, absolutely, I think the nature of all food is changing, you know, and I think for the better, you know, you get Tex-Mex haggis in or... Um, it's not just it's just not it's not just haggis and tatties. It is corn skink. It's good fish and game, and I think you, you're starting to see that reflected in restaurants as well. And I think people thinking less and less about perhaps the um, being trapped by by a cultural circumstance, but actually just more being informed by you know. And and I think your own personality is gonna. To do that, as everyone becomes more globalised, I think everyone just have a more globalised palette, and I think that's a great thing. I think, um, yeah, and I think there's always going to be an effect when, for example, if I visit my grandparents, they're probably relatively conservative about their food choices. You know, they went to Amsterdam recently, and again, they want rice. That's what they want. They want rice and meat, and it's not a meal if it's not got meat in. You know, these elements, and so I guess. There'll be one day when we become the conservative grandparents, I'm sure, you know, and 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 what our taste now will be seen as probably 
all adventurous and non-cosmopolitan in, in relative terms. But um, certainly I think the shape of food is always going to change as culture changes and that's a real beautiful thing. Um, as long as the food connects us together, it doesn't really matter what the food is so much. You know, that's just almost a token. Um, it's a means. But the end is hopefully... I think it would be real sad if people did lose the power of food to bring us together. And I think that's something that, you know, you see even all these adverts about, here's a gloop that has all your nutritional needs. And, you know, and yeah, obviously, scientifically, yeah, perhaps that's true, but absolutely, you're not going to share a table and celebrate life or death or moon festivals with a bit of gloop you know that doesn't none of these stories would happen no story starts with i had this gloop smooth in a smoothie and <laughs> and then brought that on the table no story starts with that and i don't think it ever will Food for Thought, A Life in Four Courses is delivered by Meekop and funded by the Heritage Lottery Fund. This episode was produced by Emma Jane Harrington and Kieran Earls. Interviewer was Grace Murray Cavanagh. Transcriber was Emma Jane Harrington. Special thanks to Lewis for sharing his stories with us. To learn more about our work, visit meekop.org.uk.